0: Blog Talk Radio. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, and that means it's time for another awesomely exciting episode of Stunt Treks with yours truly, Uncle Jim, and the one and only Leslie Hoffman. Before we get started, I just want to say Happy Easter to everybody out there who's listening tonight. Normally, we wouldn't be having a show tonight because I would be visiting my family in New York. However, because of this little thing called COVID, uh, we're not allowed to do that. So that means I'm available to join Leslie tonight on this awesome podcast. And tonight we're going to be talking about Star Trek in the beginning, the the early days of Star Trek, uh, TOS, as people refer to it, Star Trek, the original series. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to join in our conversation or share a story, from a convention or or how you got involved in Star Trek, please give us a call. We'll be hanging out with you here live for the next hour. Once again, that's 646-668-2433. So, Leslie, how's everything going up in Saranac Lake on this beautiful Easter Sunday?
1: Well, actually, today it's been a nice day, and and there's no snow on the ground, so I was able to take my little dog, Isaiah, outside and let him walk around for a while. Um, but it, it's just been crazy. I mean, one day there's snow on the ground, the next day it's melted away, and then the next day <laughs> we get, like, Four inches of snow. We have a snowstorm. So right now it's it's thawed away again. And hopefully this is the end of it. March March came in like a lion. Hopefully it came out glam and we're into April now.
0: <laughs> Let's hope so because we don't want snow on
1: First Contact
0: Day. Um, for those of you who are Star Trek fans, why else would you not be listening to this show uh, Star Trek Day is the day that Zeph from Cochrane um, meets up with the Vulcans and they land on Earth. And um, yeah, that's going to be on Monday. And uh, Paramount Plus has a lot of great Star Trek stuff planned for you guys, a lot of panels, Star Trek marathons, all kinds of great stuff. So uh, why don't you look up the schedule, see if there's a panel that you might be interested in, uh, tune into Paramount Plus and watch some of the Star Trek marathon. They have a list of all the episodes they're going to be playing. It's also going to be on um, uh, uh, Peacock. For those of you who like to stream your, um, your shows and have cut the cord with cable, uh, you can catch it on Peacock as well. So please check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, Leslie, tonight uh, we had a fan uh, request that we talk about Star Trek in the early days, how it all began. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I, I think before we do that, I have this clip I want to play for you guys, Something, a little something that I, I put together. Um, if you've watched Star Trek, particularly the original series, there's a couple of tropes. There's a couple of things that people always think of when you, when you say Star Trek. The first one, of course, is beaming up Scotty, which actually was never really said. Uh, the closest it ever came was in Star Trek IV, When Captain Kirk is in the park and he says, Scotty, beam me up. That's as close as it ever came. But still, beam me up. Scotty is like one of the most popular Star Trek catchphrases ever. Of course, live long and prosper is another one. That was said on the show. A red shirt dying on Star Trek left and right. That's another one. Captain Kirk being shirtless, which we talked about last week happened in 25 episodes of the 79. So that's kind of a trope that is is true. And this next one. Now, this next one I think is um, is fun because course Kelly was such a great actor, and everybody loved Bones so much. So to start off this conversation, I just want to play this little clip for you guys. It's short. Uh, this is every time that uh, Bones said, well, i'll let you guys enjoy it my name is mccoy i'm a doctor what am i a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor i jumped every time the light came on around here i'd end up talking to myself i'm a doctor not a bricklayer you're a healer there's a patient that's an order i'm a surgeon not a psychiatrist look i'm a doctor not an escalator spock give me a hand I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not an engineer.
1: No, you're an engineer. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner.
0: You keep saying that. Are you a doctor, aren't you? I don't know. I love that, and I just, I just wanted to play that for you guys. It was a perfect opportunity with the uh, topic of tonight's show. So, uh, Leslie, I want to start us off by telling our listeners a little bit about myself and how I got involved in Star Trek. Everybody knows that Dee, Leslie Hoffman, is actually a real part of Star Trek because she's been on Star Trek for real. So um, we'll we'll get to that in a second. But I just wanted to share with you guys, way, way back in the 70s, I live in upstate New York. A lot of people think that New York is like nothing but a gigantic city, but that is not true. New York City is a big, gigantic city, but it's only a sliver of New York. I live in upstate New York outside of Albany, which is just like any other town across the United States, very small town. We have three TV stations, ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS, and we had antennas. You had to put tin foil on, and move the foil around to get reception. My grandparents lived in Brooklyn, New York, and I would spend my summers down in Brooklyn. And they had a TV show on at midnight called Chiller Theater. And Chiller Theater would play King Kong, King Kong vs. Godzilla, um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Blob, The Thing, all these classic, classic sci-fi movies that I would love to watch as a kid. Well, one night I got up, up at midnight and I snuck downstairs and I turned on Chiller's Theater and lo and behold, this, this strange TV show popped on and it was Star Trek and I had never seen anything like it. And it was a double feature, two episodes. I don't remember what they were, but I watched it and I was glued to the television and every night at midnight I'd get up and I'd sneak downstairs and I'd watch Star Trek. Now, some of the first episodes that that I remember watching was Spectre of a Gun. And what I remember about that one is this is so strange because they're only half a set and clocks are floating in the sky and you can see through the sides of the building. And it intrigued me, like, what's going on here? So I was sucked right in. Another one that I remember watching was uh, The Return of the Archons with the giant Jawas walking around shooting people. That one stuck in my head as well. Uh, arena with the Gorn To this day is still one of my favorites uh, Balance of Terror Is another one that I remember seeing With the, with the ships battling each other In space Of uh, Dagger of the Mind Is another early one I remember seeing uh, So I got pulled into Star Trek Very, very early And uh, I'm so glad that I accidentally Fell upon it uh, I happen to be the same age As Star Trek I was born three months before Star Trek premiered. So to say I've been watching Star Trek my whole life would be a lie because I didn't start watching it when I was in the crib. But um, I did start watching it relatively young. Uh, With the exception of TOS, I saw all the animated series first run and every Star Trek movie and every uh, episode since then first run. Uh, One of the things about Star Trek that attracted me to it was the history in Star Trek. By that, I mean, every time the Enterprise went to a planet, we found out that this was a former captain or a friend of Kirk's or somebody he knew. And and uh, they thought that for some reason, Nazis could help this planet get back to normal again. Or there was a disease going on and this captain stranded his whole crew there and they fought like, like uh, gladiators. Or, you know, it was always something else going on that the Enterprise had to fix up, meaning that this world of the Federation was huge. Uh, There were 12 other starships besides the Enterprise that were out there exploring strange new worlds. And the biggest thing that caught my attention is when I saw an episode called The Menagerie, and I found out that Captain Kirk was not the first captain of the Enterprise. In fact, there was another captain that Spock served under Captain Pike. So Star Trek had so much history in it I started reading the comic books. I couldn't get enough. I started reading the paperbacks. Uh, Entropy Effect was the first one I remember reading, and I was hooked. Now, jump fast forward about 10 years or so. My very first Star Trek convention was in upstate New York at the Hilton in Albany. Mark Leonard was the guest star there, and it was right around Star Trek III to search for Spock time. I got a chance to meet Mark Leonard, and uh, that was it. That's all it took. Um, So I started going to conventions, any convention I could go to, I would go to. And then eventually I ran my own conventions in upstate New York. And I have been a Star Trek fan, a Trekkie, yes, a Trekkie um, ever since. Um, I love the message behind Star Trek. Uh, I love what it means to people, and I love how it brings people together, like myself and the Leslie Hoffman, and you guys that are listening right now as well. So that's how I got involved in Star Trek, and I'm still involved in Star Trek. Um, I'm a member of the Klingon Assault Group, and uh, I cosplay as a Klingon, and I wave my bat list all over the place. And if you run into a meet at a convention, I'll let you touch my Bat-List. Uh, my cat, AJ, likes to visit me during the show. And from time to time, you might hear my mic get muffled or some purring sound or a meowing in the background, and that's AJ because he loves to sit on my shoulder while I'm doing the show, I put a picture of him on our Facebook page so everybody can meet AJ. So you guys can go over to Trek Talking and Beyond on Facebook and see a picture of AJ laying on top of my bat list. <laughs> so, uh, Anyways, so that's how I got well, involved have a in Star picture Trek. On, and yeah. on
1: the Leslie Hoffman appreciation page? I don't know if I've seen
0: it. Uh, no, but you know what? I, I, You know what? I will put that on there as soon as the show is over. I, I will put that picture on the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization page so that you guys can all see my uh, my mascot, AJ, and my Bat-List. Uh, but anyways, I'm still involved in Star Trek today. I go to a lot of conventions. There aren't Star Trek conventions around anymore, unfortunately, and perhaps Leslie and I will get a chance to talk about that later on. There is one that I try to attend every year, and that's Trek Conderoga up in Ticonderoga, New York, which is the site of the original Star Trek series set tour. Uh, it's a very small convention up there at the Ticonderoga High School, but it's, it's very fun and very personal. And uh, I've met Leslie up there a couple of times as well, and I try to get up to that one every single year that they do it. Now, they haven't done it because of COVID, but hopefully they'll do it this year Um year. And, and, of course, I do this podcast with Leslie every Sunday, and I do Trek Talking and Beyond every Thursday with Charles and Eric, my trek experts. So um, that's my story. Now, Leslie's got a slightly more exciting story than mine, as I said, because Leslie is a part of the Star Trek history. She is really involved in Star Trek, and uh, I will let Leslie take over from here and, and fill you guys in on how she got involved in Star Trek,
1: if you don't mind, Leslie. Well, boy, that's... Uh, I mean, if if you want the real brief history, uh, as you say, I I saw episodes on television and was totally fascinated by them. I started memorizing the episodes. I mean, really memorizing the dialogue, all that. Then I actually went down to New York City to the second Star Trek convention, and I even entered the trivia contest, and I came in third. Not bad for a little girl from Saranac Saranac Lake, uh, population 5,000, and I'm I'm up against all these other people in New York City. came in third. Not bad at all? Uh, then then uh, I chose the career as a stuntwoman. At that time, Star Trek was long gone. I mean, there was no Star Trek. Um, years went by. I, I started in the business, or I became union in 1976. There was no Star Trek. Uh Got married, came back to New York Marriage didn't work out Went back to California And it turns out that one of my uh, Stunt buddies from this gym that I used to go to Was now the stunt coordinator of uh, Next Generation But that that was over with by the time I got back to California Uh, But He was doing Deep Space Nine, and then he was doing Voyager. He did not get to do um, uh, Enterprise. And unfortunately, they feel that, this is really strange, they feel that TV stunt coordinators cannot coordinate a feature film, which is just total, you know, it's baloney. Uh, But anyways, because of Dennis Madelone, my whatever pier we went to uh the same sort of workout stunt gym and tom morga uh i started working on star trek deep space nine and star trek voyager and i was the right size to double uh torres so that was a lot of fun but, oh, yeah, uh, we've talked about that. you on also TV said shows. Is that <laughs>
0: Yep, we've talked about that before. It <laughs> you so guys yeah, can go yeah. back and I listen mean, to, to that.
1: It, it, it's so funny because uh, when they first gave whatever you want to call it, the nickname to people who love Star Trek, Trekkies, you just accepted it. I mean, it wasn't that it was a nasty name or anything. And then all of a sudden, uh, I don't know if it was Next Generation, Deep Space Nine or something, somebody got offended, and they wanted to be trekkers, not trekkies. Well, I I always identify myself as a trekkie, and now, now uh, the two words are interchangeable. I mean, oh, you absolutely. can call yourself a trekkie or a trekker and... I don't. As far as I know, no one's offended. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, absolutely not. And uh, yeah, I I I think that I remember when TNG came out. Uh, that's when the Trekkie Trekkers War started, and that basically started. Uh, we have the same thing going on today. Matter of fact, and we have that. Except now, it's they call it New Trek and Modern Trek, or whatever. It's been going on in Star Trek fandom forever. It started with TNG, and that's when fans of TNG didn't want to be associated with fans of TOS. They were Trekkies. We're more sophisticated. We're Trekkers. So that's how they separated themselves. And without social media and everything else, back in the day, that's how they did it. I like what I, said. I don't think it makes a difference today. Um, Trekkie Trekker doesn't matter and that's because there's so many different Star Trek shows out there right now that I don't think it matters really. Uh, I prefer Trekkie myself, but I, it doesn't matter one way or the other to me. Um, I'm just I'm glad that they're making Star Trek. Um, I'm glad that JJ Abrams brought Star Trek back from the brink because after the cancellation of Enterprise and after the poor poor showing at the box office of Star Trek Nemesis Star Trek was not in a good place JJ Abrams made Star Trek 2009 and made billions made made in the darkness and made billions and so now we have the Star Trek universe going on right around us we have Paramount Plus the home of Star Trek we have Discovery uh, season four on the way to card season two on the way lower deck season two on the way we have short treks we have Star Trek Prodigy which is on its way and we have Star Trek Strange New Worlds the Pike series which is on the way and now there's talk of making a new Star Trek movie. So now is a great time to be a trekky, trekker, whatever you want to call yourself. It's a great time. And yeah. I, also, I also want to say that regardless of what Star Trek you prefer, it doesn't matter whether you like TOS or whether you like DS9, whether you like Discovery or whether you like Enterprise. It, 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 they're, all, they're all children in a family, all of them. And, you know, you might like one better than the other or vice versa, but they're all part of the family. And they're all different yeah, no, in their I, own way. Just you know, like I follow all your uh,
1: threads on different Star Trek sites, and and like, well, I think they finally closed the thread. But someone was complaining about, uh, you know, back in the '60s that uh, that Ricardo Montalban was playing an India Indian. Well, excuse me. He was Mexican, and at the time when he was first getting in the business, I'm not talking about Star Trek. I'm talking about when he was a leading man in movies. Uh, Mexican was a dirty word. You did, you did not say you were from Mexico. They billed him as the Latin lover so there's several movies that he's the lead in but he's from south america they couldn't say he was from mexico so that's how crazy it was like in the 40s and 50s
0: it do, it does get it does get a little bit crazy sometimes but um just remember we're all part of the same family and you know no star trek is better than any other Star Trek. It's just your personal preference. That's all. Um, you know, and the other thing, too, is, you know, Star Trek, the original series, was made in the 60s. And Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, all these new shows are being made in 2020, 50-plus years later. So, you know, cinematography has changed drastically. Camera angles the the uh, have changed. So much is different between now and the 60s. Um, that you, you you can't really you can't look at them and compare them because they're they're literally decades apart. So just enjoy well, even, them for even what they are.
1: You know, like when you have aliens, and I'm specifically talking about Klingons. I mean, Michael Dorn is black, but uh, oh, what is her name? Kalar K. K-L- yep, Susie Plankton. Kalar. She's yep. white. I mean, who cared? You watched the episode, and they were Klingons. You didn't say, oh, well, this is a black actor, and this is a white actress. They were Klingons, period. Exactly,
0: <laughs> and it, it didn't matter. So uh, believe it right. or not, guys, we have to take our first break. <laughs> but uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the beginning of Star Trek, where it all started, uh, how it came to be, and we're just going to have some fun with that. So our phone number here is six four six 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 eight two four three three. If you'd like to join the conversation, uh, please give us a call. Right after this very quick yet very important message, don't touch that dial. Trek talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back with Uncle Jim and the Leslie Hoffman, and we're talking about Star Trek, the original series. Um, so, Leslie, let's talk a little bit about how Star Trek got started. You want to want take over here?
1: Yeah. Um, Gene Roddenberry started out as a writer for many television shows in the 1950s. I mean, way before Star Trek and he was even pitching ideas for various surgeries surgery boy am I starting off good. Series. Um again, even before Star Trek. He had different ideas. And and that's what you do in Hollywood. You if if you wanna become a producer, you, you come up with ideas for television shows. Um so through the years, uh, he worked on different shows with Gene Kuhn, Gary Lockwood, uh, I'm going to mess this one up, Joe de DeGoss- Gossata- Gosta? How do you pronounce that?
0: Yeah, Joe okay,
1: and Leonard Nimoy, uh Nick Michelle Nichols, uh Majel Burt. I mean, again, pre Star Trek. He wrote many episodes on Have Gun Will Travel, and he actually won a Writers Guild of America Award for Best Teleplay play in 1958. Um so at one point, he decided to try to pitch Star Trek to MGM. And they kind of went, mm, this sounds good, but but they weren't interested. You know, <laughs> don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> um, so then he went over to Desilu Productions, and um, he was offered a one-script deal, hired as the producer and allowed well to allow to work on his own projects again not necessarily star trek yet um desi studios was in financial dis- difficulties Uh, The only successful show at that point was The Lucy Show. Not I Love Lucy, but the show that came after I Love Lucy, The Lucy Show. Uh, She had divorced from uh, Desi Arnaz, and I guess she bought out Desi Lou. He was gone. He was out of it. Uh, So Gene took the idea to Oscar Katz, uh, the head of programming, And they worked on a plan to sell the series to, well, I put networks. I mean, they tried going to CBS, and CBS said, thank you, no thank you. Um, It was because CBS already had Lost in Space. Now, Lost in Space, really, I don't know. I find Lost in Space as a comedy as opposed to Star Trek having – Deep moral meanings. I mean, would you would you agree with that? I mean, Lost oh, in Space a- was absolutely. entertaining. Whoops. Yeah, I, I wasn't a huge Lost in
0: Space fan, uh, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, they took the idea over to NBC, and and they tried to downplay science fiction. And uh, tried to sell it as a western, like like Gunsmoke or or Wagon Train, and the network was willing to fund um, the idea and and make uh, a pilot, which was the Menagerie, which later became the two-parter, The Cage. But the Menagerie had uh, Jeffrey Hunter. Captain Pike And it had Majel Barrett As number one And all that kind of stuff And uh, Actually NBC paid for that Pilot um, The remaining Cost was covered by Desi Liu which would mean Lucille Ball covered it uh, Gene well, had hired actually, BC. That's
0: That's backwards I just wanted to make a correction They originally filmed the cage, uh, which would be made into the two-part episode of of TOS called "The Menagerie." It was the only two-part episode of TOS that was produced. Just a little correction. The
1: fingers, the fingers go faster than than the than the brain. (laughs) Um, So, you know, they tried to sell the cage. Now. NBC, even before, well, okay, so a pilot doesn't necessarily air on television. It's just shown to whatever network is supposedly buying it. And NBC in the 60s was very leery about a woman being second in command. I mean, God forbid something happens to the captain, uh, you're telling me you're going to have a woman in command in the in the 1960s you know so they didn't like that they didn't like the idea of the alien with the pointed ears because because people might think that that alien looked like spock looked like the devil and in fact the brochure that NBC was handing out to people seeing if they were even interested in Star Trek, uh, they were airbrushing uh, Leonard Nimoy's ears. They were rounding them down because they didn't want them to see these pointed ears. (laughs) And as (laughs) as promised, um, one of our favorite movies is Planet of the Apes. And uh, the person that made Spock's ears is John Chambers, which is well known for the prosthetics on *Planet of the Apes*. But he actually created Spock's ears in 1966, and probably did the the ape prosthetics, prosthetics in 67 uh, or so. You know, so so John Chambers, uh probably if you had to put it in a timeline, did the pointed ears before he did the uh, ape makeup. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so so there's there's a deep connection to Planet of the Apes even with Star Trek. Um And back then, John even won, uh, well, for Planet of the Apes, he won a special Oscar because they didn't have a category for for prosthetic makeup. You know, they had a category for, I'll call it beauty makeup, but but the idea of gluing, you know, latex or or foam rubber on a person's face to make them into an alien – I mean, well, we already talked about There was nothing like Star Trek until it came along Exactly So, (laughs) that's our Planet of the Apes uh, (laughs) salute for today We've got to get Planet of the Apes in there, absolutely (laughs) Right (laughs) And luckily none of the apes had pointed ears (laughs) (laughs) That <laughs> that we know of <laughs> <laughs> Anyways um, NBC Did not like The first pilot But Lucille Ball Was Was taken by Star Trek I mean I know people say Majel Baird is like The queen or whatever of Star Trek Blah 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 and And I'm not belittling Majel Barrett, but believe me, without Lucille Ball, there would not have been a Star Trek.
0: I mean, yep, she ran Desi exactly.
1: Lou. In fact, she over yep. she overruled the studio board to finance the show. I mean, in other words, well, who knows how many guys were sitting in the room, but she came in the room and she said, no. We're gonna we're gonna do another pilot for this series. So and the rest is history. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So so then after two seasons and amazingly enough low ratings. Well, you know now we come into uh, an interesting thing is that you know how what kind of families have that Nielsen box you know right. how are how are they deciding that they were getting low ratings
0: back in the 60s i have no clue yeah so no clue
1: um after 2 seasons they were f- facing cancellation by NBC, Um, and, well, you rarely hear about her husband, but Bejo Tremble and her husband, uh, John Tremble, started a grassroots national campaign to save Star Trek, and actually the students of Caltech got involved in this. And there was this huge letter writing campaign that went into the n b c and I forget what the mathematical um formula is but one letter technically is like created creates a hundred votes or something i like i say i don't I don't remember what the number is, but they must have gotten a bunch of letters. And NBC relented, and they did do a third season, but then they canceled it again. Uh, what I didn't know, I just found this out, you know, doing my uh, background history on it, is that so the fans even tried to protest, you know, to bring in a fourth season, but this time NBC just said no go. Um I don't know. You know, just just to talk about, well, you kind of covered it in the first half hour. It's amazing that a series that only went two and a half seasons is now, let's see, where am I at? Uh, 60 is, is, is over 60 years old and with new Star Treks coming out every year or multiple Star Treks coming out every year. Yeah. I mean, yep. I think I think Paramount. Forget about talking about NBC. I think Paramount finally gets it, and they know it's a money maker now.
0: Well, let's talk and a little also,
1: bit.
0: Uh, so, yep. Yeah, okay. Things that a lot of as far as the fourth season not being produced. We're going to talk about this a little bit on Trek Talking, by the way on Thursday night because we're going to be talking about the cage and the pilot where no man has gone before so if you guys are interested you can tune in on Thursday night for that so I've been doing some research for Truck Talking as well and what a lot of fans may or may not know is that season one of Star Trek was was all G he was involved in everything every step of the way he started to step back a little bit in season two, because he was really felt overwhelmed by the whole thing, very time-consuming, and he wasn't spending much time uh, with with his family and loved ones. But by the time they canceled the show and renewed it for a third season, Gene had completely stepped away from Star Trek in season three and was no longer heavily involved in it. And that's why a lot of fans will say that season three is the weakest season of the three because Gene wasn't as heavily involved in it by that point in time. Also, the studio pulled one over on the fans, and when they renewed Star Trek, they put it on at 10 o'clock on Friday night. Now, you have to remember, this is the 60s. You didn't have DVR. You didn't have TiVo. You didn't have a a VCR where you could record it and watch it later. So if you weren't home on Friday night at 10 o'clock, you didn't watch Star Trek. And that was it, you missed. I really feel that the studio set it up to take a fall by putting it in such a terrible, terrible time slot. Um, okay. That's well, just that, my opinion.
1: Yes, no, that's absolutely right is that when you could have like a top series, and if a studio wants to get rid of it, they will change the date you know, let's say they'll put it on Sunday at 10 o'clock or something, or, or yeah, they'll just put it on the day that people don't usually tune into to television, and then it gets low ratings, and then they have a legitimate excuse. It has low ratings. We're going to cancel it. No, that that's a tactic
0: that they use. And they did it with Star Trek. So, uh, but we have just about, Ten minutes left. There's something else I want to talk about with Star Trek. I touched on it briefly, and Leslie touched on it briefly, but I think it's huge, and that's Star Trek conventions. Um, Star Trek was the show that started conventions, and there were Star Trek conventions pretty much every single weekend somewhere around the country. And I think that what made Star Trek so popular is the fact that Fans could actually go to these conventions, and you could meet George and Michelle and Walter. Uh, you could meet Leonard Nimoy. You could meet these the, the people that you watch on the show, and you could meet them personally. Uh, you could get a picture with them. You could shake their hand. You could get an autograph. They did Q&A. And I think that doing that made people feel more connected to the show, and they felt closer to the actors because – They had a personal connection because they met them. And I think that that helped make Star Trek as popular as it became because Star Trek actually became a thousand times more popular when it hit syndication than it did when it ran first run. And I think that's because of the conventions. Uh, Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I... I don't know, maybe I was 17 or whatever. Well, let's see, 1972, uh, uh, 55, 65. uh, I was either 16 or 17 years old when I went to New York City. And I actually have a picture of me, you know, kneeling down next to George Takei. I mean, as you say. I mean, oh my god, I got to be I got I have a picture with me with Solo.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and also I think that when TNG came along, all of the actors for TNG were out there on that convention circuit every weekend. You they wanted that show to succeed, so they were out every weekend somewhere. You could meet Marina Sirtis, Michael Dorn, Brent Spiner, Patrick Stewart, all of them every And when they mingled in with the TOS actors, it was something special. And I think that that's why Star Trek was so booming in the 80s. However, unfortunately, these big companies got involved in Star Trek conventions, drove them into the ground, and started having what I call multimedia conventions. And no longer having Star Trek conventions. And I think, unfortunately, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, you know, all the new Star Treks that are coming along will never get to enjoy uh, the love and admiration that that these actors would have gotten if they were at Star Trek conventions rather than massive multimedia conventions where they have people from the Avengers and... and, uh, you know, the horror movies, Friday the 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street, Star Wars, oh, and Star Trek as well, which is unfortunate because nothing, I'm, I'm telling you, nothing was better than spending an entire weekend at a hotel filled with Trekkies. It was incredible, guys. Everywhere you turned, you'd see Klingons and Romulans and all kinds of great Star Trek cosplay. Star Trek trivia, Star Trek games. Um, everybody was watching Star Trek in their room. They had after-room parties. They had bands playing Star Trek music. It was just a whole weekend of nothing but yeah. Star Trek. That's what Actually, it was like.
1: One of my favorite memories, this was a convention in Los Angeles, was that I had to go to the ladies' room and, you know, I come out of the bathroom to wash my hands and and there's this this green lady with with a compact with green makeup in it. And she's you know, she's uh correcting or, you know, uh whatever, making sure her makeup looked good and it just it struck me so funny that it's this green woman putting you know, green makeup on herself. But that's that's how core hardcore the fans are. I
0: uh I don't know if I've told the story on this show or not, but I was up at Truconderoga the last time they did it, which would have been what two thousand nineteen? Um Yeah. I'm not sure if were you at that one with me, Leslie, in two thousand nineteen?
1: I don't remember. No, no, I, I didn't go down on 2019.
0: Okay, so I was there in 2019, and um, uh, Mr. Spock, Ethan Peck, was the guest there. And there was a guy dressed up as, as Saru And if you guys look at my profile picture, you'll see a picture of me with this guy, Saru And he was, he, he could have been on the show. I swear to God, he was that good. He even had the big hooks on his feet incredible and I was dressed up as a Klingon and the show was over so what Karen and Jamie were going out to the car and I'm like well I really got to go to the bathroom and I got to get this head off because the sweat just builds up you're wearing a rubber head all day so the, the sweat just builds up on your forehead and it's just you got to get you got to take it off. and it's hot up in Ticonderoga and the high school is not air conditioned so it was hot so I go in the bathroom and I'm standing at the urinal and who comes up and stands next to the urinal right next to me? Mr. Saru. <laughs> so there's a Klingon in one stall and Saru in the other and we're we're doing our business and and uh I asked him, I said, geez, it must be really hot in that thing and we're here we are talking about how hot we are wearing these he had a full head rubber headpiece on. I only had the top of my head covered. I pull off my headpiece and all the stuff starts running down my face. And, uh, you know, I, I said thank you to Saru. I uh, told him he looked great and went out to the car and to the Karen and Jamie. You'll never guess who I, stood, who I shared a urinal with. <laughs> it was Saru. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of stuff wow. only happens at a Star Trek convention. <laughs> oh, boy. But it was fun.
1: I it. Yeah, so, so as we're running out of time here Is that You know I just want to say that It's amazing to think That the heart and soul of Star Trek Has lived on forever And more series I'm sure more series Are going to even come after the ones That hopefully will be filmed this year And and I just feel honored That, that I was lucky enough To be a part of all this And uh Actually, on Facebook, well, it's it's a private page. Uh, I happen to be one of the admins to um, cast and crew of Star Trek. And when we say Star Trek, we mean that TNG, uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise is pretty much... The group that we're talking about, because it was the same special effects people and all that kind of stuff, and and uh, it's amazing. I mean, so we're, we're if you go to the beginning of uh, TNG, you're talking about 1980s, and well, I forget how many people are on our page, but I mean, we're, we're still connected. So even the cast yes. and crew is still connected.
0: And I meet so many great people from my involvement on our Facebook talking and beyond and from this podcast on Trek and my Trek Talking podcast. I meet a lot of great people. I meet a lot of great people up at Trek conderoga when I when I travel up there for that convention. It's small, but it's it's personal and it, it's, it's the only Star Trek convention that I know of that's still around, anyways. Um, and anytime that I can go out in public, dressed up as a Klingon, and I can and I can spread Star Trek around, and when when, when I see a kid smile or wants a picture with me, it, it just makes it all worthwhile. At least. That's what it's all about, and I love it. It's the only time yeah, that I can I mean, step out of being this boring person that works for a living and blah uh, blah blah. Well, and I can be somebody else. I can be... Well, Well, you know, that's true. I'm not. I'm Uncle Jim. But, but but when I'm a Klingon, I get to be someone different. And that's so much fun. I mean, you got to be a real one. I mean, you got to be B'Elanna Taurus on real Star Trek. So that that's incredibly special. And I, I just can't even imagine what that was like. Um, but... I love taking pictures with fans, I love talking to fans and I love meeting fans. It's so special. Well
1: I know that so. up in Canada there's there's a group that go around to entertain people and then you have Rush Hasselage, uh, with the Federation and his different Star Trek chapters, I guess you would call them, and and the basic Point of their chapters is to do good for the community. I mean, that's that's what Star Trek teaches us. Yes. At
0: at the base, I think Star Mm -hmm. Trek is based on the idic. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And as I hinted at earlier, you don't have to like something. You don't have to support it. You don't even have to understand it. But as a Star Trek fan, you have to respect it. Um, And that's what it all comes down to, is basic human respect. So, Leslie,
1: we're out of time. (laughs) Wow. Where where'd the time go? But we did mention Planet
0: of the Apes. (laughs) We got Planet of the Apes in there. I want to let you guys know that please head on over to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page. If you have a topic that you'd like to hear Leslie and I talk about, this topic that we talked about tonight, uh, Joy mentioned to Leslie, so here we are talking about it. So if you guys want to hear us talk about something, head over to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization page and drop us a line, and Leslie and I will be more than happy. We love to talk. (laughs) So uh, we'll talk about your topic. And uh, just say hi to Leslie, too. She loves to hear from you guys. Make sure you tune in to trick talking and beyond thursday night seven uh, we're going to be talking about the cage and where no man has gone before which we touched on a little bit here tonight as well and of course i'm your most excellent host uncle jim saying thank you for joining us and of course thank you so so much to the one and only leslie hoffman we couldn't be doing this show without you so thank you so much for joining us tonight leslie
1: Again, always—it's always fun to. Well, in this case, it's it's childhood memories for me. What we talked about tonight. I yeah, mean, so, I think I think I think
0: a lot of people feel that way. And we're yeah. going to end the show. I usually I usually end the show with uh, Patrick Stewart and saying "Make it so." But we're going to do something a little different in honor of tonight's topic. Uh, we're going to end the show it's something a little different and this would be the first time that somebody actually said the monologue besides the captain of the Enterprise himself and this is, well, this is Leonard Nimoy and um, you guys, please enjoy yourself, stay safe, be good to each other and hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody.
1: Night. Space,
0: the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise, her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new
1: life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.